Yo, 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 what's good, everybody? Welcome, welcome back to another episode of the Isaiah K Podcast. Welcome back. So we are back in the full effect um, right after week four. Obviously, you guys know how we're going to do it um, each and every week of the NFL season. You know, I come in, I break down, you know, some, my, I guess, my biggest takeaways from week four and so forth. Um, but it was another fantastic week. Uh, football, obviously, also, I must admit, and it's not going to get really talked about much because we're in the midst of the NFL season. We're going into wait, we're into October now, but the NBA is starting, and the NBA is starting with some fireworks. Now, um, you guys can go check out. Uh, I did a, I think I did a couple episodes ago. Um, I did my, I did a brief reaction on Damian Leonard um, being traded to the Bucks, so you guys can go check that out. If you are interested in more NBA content, um, I try to I try to put some more NBA topics in between. A um, little hard to do that, but I try to do that. But for, in that instance, you can go check out that Damian Leonard uh, episode that I did where I react to him getting traded to the Bucks. Obviously, there was another big time move over the weekend. Actually, on Sunday, right before the game started, Drew Holiday got traded to the Celtics. Um, Drew Holiday, really good, really good two-way player, um, two-way wing, kind of fits what the Celtics need. Um, in, in, in that instance, they gave away Robert Williams. He was one of the, uh, he was the highlight in the deal for the Celtics. He, uh, the Celtics, uh, big time, big, big, big man. He's a really good defensive anchor, but he has some lingering knee issues, like some serious knee issues. Um, so. Celtics, got, Celtics made a big trade. Milwaukee made a big trade. Seems like it's an arms race in the Eastern Conference um, between those two teams. But, like I said, uh, we're going to get into our football NFL, my reactions and so forth. Obviously, um, I do my top 10 teams list. But first and foremost, I'm your humble and highly favorite host, Isaiah Kitt of the Isaiah Kitt Podcast. I'm really, really excited to get into today. I, I and I want to obviously we'll talk about you know we'll do a little quarterback talk that I do um usually, but something that I want to and I, I want to revert back to what I was saying um or what I was talking about last week where throughout the course of the NFL season so far just so far I came in and I made a statement I was like for almost I think I said. For nearly half of the teams in the league, I can justify half of the teams in the league taking a quarterback in next year's draft. Now, certain teams are going to take a quarterback earlier than others, right? But I can, I feel like I can justify for about 10 to 15 teams taking a quarterback. I can justify it. And for, like, obviously, like Denver – uh, Vegas, Tampa Bay, they take their quarterbacks relatively earlier than others. But there's also some teams out there that kind of like that you wouldn't think about at first, but like uh, not, not actually a bad idea that could that you could justify. I can justify them taking a quarterback maybe in a later round. But in week four, I found this interesting in such an offensive oriented league, right? Um, points equals ratings and ratings equal money, right? And it's so like we see so many, you know, points being scored, right? But there were seven teams in week four 
that failed to score an offensive touchdown. <clears throat> the Giants scored three points. The Patriots scored three points. The Bengals scored three points. The Browns scored three points. The Steelers scored six points. The Saints scored nine points. And the Panthers scored uh, two. They, they scored 13 points. They had two field goals and a defensive touchdown. So that's like that's like almost half of the games where like an offense just did not show up. And some of those teams, they were missing their quarterback, like um, Deshaun Watson. He didn't play for the Browns and so forth. Um, uh, you know, but these other teams are just not like, you know, Joe Burrow's hurt. But these other teams are just not good offensively. The Steelers, well-documented with Matt Canada, just not good offensively. And I want to get into – so keep that in your mind. Keep that because I'm going to talk about some, some you know, some offenses that's just been putrid. And I feel like they should be a little bit better than what they actually are. But Zach Wilson and Justin Fields, as much as I've criticized both, they played really, really well. And they were really confident in the rhythm. And I, for, for these guys – I never questioned, like, the gifts, the physical traits, the physical talents, right? Like, Justin Field, when you pop on his Ohio State tape, like, the attributes are there. Like, the arm strength, like, he has the tools, right? Some of, you know, the tools are there. Some of the processing, um, at least at the NFL level, has been slow and working through progressions and reads and, you know, trying to be a comfortable pocket passer. That has been a slow evolution, right? And that's been something that he's been that he's been struggling with. But in terms of the physical trades, you see him out in the open space. You see him when the pocket is moving. You can, he can make the throws, right? He can make the throws, right? Um, with Zach Wilson, same thing. Like um, he's not as physically gifted as Justin Fields, I would say. But you pop on his junior year at BYU, short shorter sample size than Fields as well, but. You you see you see the twos you see some of the attributes and some of the traits as to why you know they were they got drafted in the first round highly drafted in the first round I should say right um like you you just see that but with this particular guy that was drafted in the same draft Mac Jones unlike Wilson and Fields you can see their talents and traits right you you saw that in their college tape I was saying it back then. I was saying it his first year. I was saying it his second year. I'm saying it now. I don't see it. I always thought Mac Jones was, uh, I mean, I don't know. I just don't see it. it. Nothing popped at Alabama. I thought he had, he had, a, he, I thought he was the beneficiary of some great, not just play calling and uh, play designing from Steve Sarkeesian, but I mean, he was throwing to Waddle and, and uh, Devontae Smith, like he he was throwing the first like three, four first round receivers. So I, I I get it. Like he had a great year at Alabama, but that was a small sample size. But none of the physical things popped, or tra- like none of the traits popped. Really accurate, but even his like even his best traits, they haven't really. They've kind of like gone away and become like things of weak. Like they become weaknesses since he stepped into the NFL. Um, I'm just, just, I've never been a huge Mac Jones fan. I thought it was absolutely ridiculous that Kyle Shanahan even thought about taking this dude at three. Um, I don't know. I I just never saw first round talent from Mac Jones. 
Um, Patriots take them at 15, right? And, you know, the coaches, some of his antics, he, like he comes off very bratty. Some of the antics are just not cool. Um, there was reports that coaches didn't, like, they just didn't seem to be, like, a fan of him. Um, he got called out by his O-line. And he did have some – he had some character issues and or character red flags coming out of the draft, if people remember, right? Um, and I always thought he was a high floor. I thought low ceiling, high floor type of guy with Mac Jones, right? Like high – like his comp is, a, I guess, a lesser version of Kirk Cousins, right? But even Kirk Cousins has limitations, and that's okay, right? Um, because Kirk put up good numbers and so forth, but – Part of being a limited player or a marginally talented guy is being likable or having or being a high like being high character. That's part of being a limited player. And Mac Jones, he's limited. I mean, with all of these damn turnovers, he can't even reach his floor. The turnovers are like the, the turnovers from the Cowboy game is absolutely horrendous absolutely horrendous and i know the cowboys are really good right like i know they're really good but are they 38 to 3 better than the patriots i don't i don't know i don't i don't know i think they're really good though i think the cowboys are really good but i don't know if they're 38 to 3 better than the patriots but it kind of shows you the regression from mac jones since his rookie year and like i said Part of being a player that has limitations is, you know, you being a likable guy, you being a high character guy. That's part of being a limited player. Like, you look at guys around the league, look at quarterbacks around the league, like Dak, who has limited, obviously has limitations, but Dak is a top 10 guy, but he has limitations. But what else do we love about Dak? He's a grown up, he's a leader, he's a high character guy. We don't question it. Kirk Cousins. We the, the like Kirk Cousins has limitations and we can make jokes about Kirk Cousins. He's a pretty good pretty decent quarterback as well, but he's a high character guy. After the quarterback Netflix series, everybody walked away and was like, "Man, it's kind of hard not to root for Kirk Cousins." Yeah, cuz he's a likable dude. Mac Jones isn't likable. And for you, that's a huge part of being marginally talented. When you are marginally talented, you have less room. The margin for error is 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 already slim because you're not the most talented guy in the world, right? You know, you, you can be a diva and be a great receiver and, like, you know, put up great numbers, right? Because you can be a diva, but if you're putting up great numbers, people, will, people can deal with you, right? People can deal with you. But when you – when you're – when you're marginally talented and you have so many limitations, bro, you can't be a a, a, a shithead. <laughs> you can't be a bad, you can't not be likable. You can't be, you can't, you can't be like low character guy. You can't have character red flags. That's like, no, that doesn't work like that. So I, you know, I always thought I, you look at this roster, even when, you know, they, uh, the Patriots made the Bill O'Brien move. I'm like, okay. You get Bill O'Brien as an OC, but 
like, look at the skill positions. Juju Smith-Schuster, the Patriots gave him a three-year deal. I, I, he's nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. Like, the Patriots' skill position guys are just ass. They're ass. So, it is a tall task to ask for Mac Jones, but his maturity, like, it's not even about, like, the on the field is the on the field stuff. And, he's like I said, he has limitations, and I never thought that much of him. But for you to have so many limitations as a player and as a quarterback, you can't be so naive and bratty and so, like, bro, you don't have the room for to do that when you're marginally talented or when you are, like, when, you, when you're, like, you're, you're not good. You can't pull off certain antics. And, you know, with – and I want to get to Belichick as well because, um, I, like I said, I looked at this roster and I look at Mac Jones and I'm like, Mac Jones is going to end up retiring or getting bill belichick fired like for real like that's how bad he is that's how bad he's playing at this moment right now but i will also tell you the the irony and this this the slippery slope for the patriots and why they are stuck i'm gonna tell you why with bill belichick and i've always kind of had like hinted towards this but like (laughs) the further the further and further that Bill is removed from those years with Brady, where the Patriots are dominating. It the, the situation gets weirder and weirder, and obviously people had this debate of like, was it Tom? Was it Bill? And you know, a lot of people with Bill's recent struggles and you know his continued struggles since Brady has left, and Brady, you know, Tampa, his Tampa years are, I would say, a success. They were pretty good. Um, won a Super Bowl his first year. You know, they were they were contenders. All every year that Brady was there, so it's like uh, a lot of people are swaying with Tom. I'm not gonna get into that today, but it is getting weirder and weirder. And I, I've always kind of talked about like, hey, Bill and the Patriots feel for offense in the year of 2021, 2022, 2023. Like they just don't have a good feel for offense, um, and it's it's clearly apparent in their drafting. And I've always have talked about how Bill has kind of struggled to draft at like he just he just doesn't hit on offensive guys. He can't he can't he can't hit on some of these playmakers like offensive guys. He don't draft playmakers, he don't draft impactful guys. But you know, Belichick is that guy, he's turning into that guy where, you know, they go into the wrong club or they go into the wrong party and they just like a fish out of water. It's like a fish out of water. You know, just going to the wrong club. <laughs> you know that guy that goes into the wrong club with the wrong party, and he clearly, clearly, clearly he doesn't belong there, or, like, it's just not his vibe? That's Belichick. Like, he's poorly dressed. Not, you know, he doesn't he doesn't look like everybody else. He's just not – his attire is off, right? Uh, he doesn't know any of the music or any of the rappers – that they're playing in the in the club or at the party. And it's just like he just looks like a fish out of water and it's just clearly not his vibe. Well that's that's what Belichick is. Like that is what he is becoming in this world, in this NFL world, right? Where it, his feel for offense is just not there. And I kinda I talked about Josh McDaniels last week and I, you know, I kind of some it goes back, Apple don't fall far from the tree. 
kind of goes back to Bill Belichick and these Patriot guys. They hire each other. And it's, it's, I don't know what it is, but they hire, they continue to rehire each other. And they don't, they stay in this little box, in this little circle. Um, but going back to Belichick and drafting, right? And we know how the NFL works. And it, this is kind of the downside. This is the upside and the downside to Belichick as a coach in the goodness and how good he is because he can win with below average talent. So him drafting or him not being able to draft well, it then on the field leads to him having below average talent at times, but he's so good of a damn coach. He's able to win with it. But the reason why the Patriots are stuck and he hasn't drafted well, perhaps and the reason why they're going to continue to be like a six, seven, eight win team is because they haven't just bought them out. And we know how the NFL works. In order to be good, at some point, you have to suck. At some point, you just got to be bad. You got to be bad. You got to stink. And you got to get a high draft pick, right? That's, that's, that's the way to get good in the NFL. Look at all of the really good teams in the league. At some point, they suck, and they were picking within the top ten of the draft. At some point, that's how that's how you get good in the NFL. Because the, the, the also the hint to that is simple math, right? Simple, simple math. If you are drafting, let's say you're drafting number three in the first round, you're gonna be you're gonna have the third pick in the second round. You having the third pick in the second round, it's a whoever you pick, more than likely they're a quasi first rounder. And the, then it, the same could be said in the third round. You got the third pick in the third round. You're essentially picking a quasi second rounder, perhaps. You know, depending on how good the draft is, depending on how you know how quality the draft is, you're picking a quad if you're picking third in the third round, you're essentially picking a quasi second second rounder. So that's how the draft works. That's how that's how it works. But Belichick, like I'm saying, Belichick is so good. The Patriots have never just stink, and they've never picked in the top ten. The last time the Patriots picked in the top ten was in 2008, and they drafted Gerard Mayo, who turned out to be a pretty good pick. But that's 15 years of them picking outside of the top ten. They don't pick and they don't they don't just stink. But you look at the Cowboys, like the Niners, the Dol- like you ask yourself, the Dolphins are like, damn, the Dolphins are good. Well, yeah, that's because they've been terrible. They've been ass for for the better part of twenty years. That's why they're good. They've been picking high, and at some point, they you know they they flipped Learn Matunsu, then that turned into they able they were able to use those pieces to trade for Waddle and trade for Tyreek Hill. I mean, draft Waddle and trade for Tyreek Hill. Hell, they were tanking for Tua, right? Like, that was their whole thing. We're tanking for Tua. You ask yourself, how the Chiefs, they picked Mahomes at 10. Chief, the Chiefs weren't good when Andy Reid got there. They weren't good. They were not good when Andy Reid got there. They picked at 10. Oh, you ask yourself, the 49ers, they picked, they, they had multiple times where they, like, after the Hallball years, they had Jim Tom Sula. 
They had they 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 were horrible. Chip Kelly, they were horrible. The 49ers were horrible. And then they were able to draft in the top what five. But then Jimmy Garoppolo, they once Kyle got there, and then once Jimmy Garoppolo got there, Jimmy Garoppolo got there, he got hurt. Once Jimmy Garoppolo went down, they couldn't win games. They couldn't win games. So then again, that's how they led to getting Joey Bosa, uh, or not Joey, but Nick, Nick Bosa and so forth. Actually, the Bills, how were they able to get Josh Allen? They picked that seven. They stink. They weren't good. <laughs> they weren't good. They weren't good. They were picking at seven. You ask yourself, how did the Cow- and the Cowboys, you know, they've been like, they have like Cowboys go like good year, good year, good year, stink, good year, good year, good year, stink. But they drafted Dak in the fourth round, cool. But in that same draft, they were they were in that same the same year they picked Dak, they picked Zeke. They drafted Zeke at four. <laughs> you know, you look at some of the other first round picks though, like Zach Martin. He went pretty high. They stink. So, like, Michael Parsons, the year they got Michael Parsons, they stink. <laughs> they, they, like, they stink. They were picking at 10. They stink. They were not good. So that's the that's the name of the game. Like, in order to be good, at some point, you had had to stink. You have to stink. You have to be bad. And the Patriots, they have never, Belichick is so good that they have never been terrible. They have never been terrible. Now this year, they act, they may actually have a chance to pick in the top ten because Mac Jones is that bad, and they don't have another option. I mean, hey, you can go with uh, Bailey Zappi, right? Right, but but that is that that's part of the reason why perhaps Belichick doesn't draft well because he's drafting. You know, it's kind of hit. It's kind it's harder to hit on later picks, right? So he's drafted. 23 and 27 and 28 kind of hard okay cool you know those 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 for sure fire guys are like you know sure fire guys are like in the top 10 right where those guys are gonna be pretty good you most of them right but so perhaps that's why he's he hasn't been good at drafting or he hasn't hit in the, with these draft picks but the other flip side to that is this is why the patriots this is why they're gonna be average because they're they are they have never they're never picking high. They don't they don't ever just stink. They don't ever just win three or four games. Even when the Patriots are not good and we look at their talent, we look at their we look at their roster, we're like, man, what in the hell? They still end up winning seven, eight games. You win eight, nine games, you're picking in the teens, close to the twenties. And that's where that and that's where Belichick has always picked from. So perhaps that's why part of the reason why he isn't a good drafter. But then also, you know, you look, you look, you know, like, uh, Patriots are average. They're average because they're because Belichick can win with usually below average talent. He's been able to prove that. But that is a problem. I don't know how this thing works out. I don't. I don't know how this thing plays, and you know, with 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 New England, um, but Mac Jones clearly, clearly is not the answer, and they're gonna they're gonna have to draft the guy. They're gonna have to draft another quarterback because Mac Jones is not the answer. And let's just be honest, especially in that division, where you got you know you got Mike McDaniel, 
you have you, you got Mike McDaniel and Tua. They look like a pretty good combination. Uh, Josh Allen isn't going anywhere, and I'm gonna get to Josh Allen and the way he played. He's been playing phenomenal, but like they don't they don't look like like that. That is not the mold of quarterback that you want in 2023 or going forward. Like that, Mac Jones, his like him having no escapability, him having no ability to extend plays, um, or to make something or to like create something out of broken plays. Like you don't want that in twenty twenty three. Not to say those guys don't have a a spot in the league, right? You you're gonna need to be able to thrive in the pocket, yes. But when you're playing in a conference where you got Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and Trevor Lawrence, where these guys, they, they like Herbert, you're going to be able to need to make some plays and you can't win every game 17 to 14, i.e. the Steelers. And I want to talk, I want to talk about the Steelers because their offense has looked atrocious. And that's that, that's that, that I pointed out earlier in the pod in the episode, <clears throat> The Steelers was uh, they were amongst the teams that did not score. Um, they did not score an offensive touchdown this past week in week four. And boy, did I and I, I kind of I, I wish I could, you know, walk it back, walk that take that prediction back, but boy, I they are not winning the division. Um, and I think their ceiling is a nine, ten win team. They can maybe sneak into that. That that last uh, wild card spot, perhaps, but this this team is they're offensively they're just they're just not very good. They're not good enough. And I got some mind boggling stats, and I I should have known better because I talk about coaching, I talk about coordinators, and how how much coordinators matter. Like, and I, I coaching matters in this league, and you know, as good as Mike McDaniel is as an offensive minded guy. And, and I'm just doesn't really don't really sound right right now because the Dolphins defense just gave up 48 points to the Bills. But Vic Fangio is one of the best defensive coordinators in football. Right. And Mike McDaniel knows in order to in order for him to like really have some real true success, the other side of the ball is going to have to be like legit. Um, Shanahan, Cal Shanahan has done a great job with um, not just obviously with his. He's a play caller, but the defensive coordinators he's had. He has he's had Robert Sala. Um, he's had D'Amico. Um, so like it, it, pretty good coordinators. Really good. D'Amico got the got a coaching job. D'Amico Ryan's doing pretty good in Houston, you know. He has a good he has a he has a look like he has a quarterback in CJ Stroud. Um and Salah is obviously coach of the Jets. Um McVay has done a pretty good job. Uh Raheem Moore is he soon as McVay got to LA. Uh, Wade Phillips was the DC. Um, he hired Brandon Staley. Brandon Staley was a better DC than he is a coach. But you know, you get the gist. Uh, coordinators matter, and I, I, I completely missed the ball with the Steelers in their offense, in their offense issues. Because uh, I, and even myself, I pointed out last year that Matt Canada hit like offensively in terms of like creativity is just not there. Um, his it's like offensively they're in ep they're in ep and i got some stats where you know since matt canada has taken over when the steelers hold opponents to less than 22 points they are 19 3 and 1 
So that's that's about that's a little bit more than eight that they went 85 percent of their games. That's a little bit more than 85. But they went about 85 percent of their games when they held when they hold their opponents to less than 22 points. Now, the flip side to that is if their opponent scores more than 22 points, 22 points or more, they are one in 15. So essentially, if they don't get a good, a really good defensive performance, they lose because the average NFL team, NFL team, NFL teams on average score 22 points a game. So if the Steelers defense can't have a really good performance, they're probably going to lose, but it gets worse. Their, their offense is bottom five in points scored. They're 31st in yardage and points in the first quarter. And I, the reason why I pointed out that that particular stat is because Matt Canada, he told CBS commentators that his offense, his team, his offense is not built. I mind you, they are not built to come back in games. So that means they have to get off to really good starts and they have to build the lead and sustain it. Well, how in the hell are you going to do that when you're 31st in yardage and 31st in points in the first quarter? So they don't they don't get off the good starts. 55% of their drives fail to create a new set of downs. 61% of their drives result in a third down, right? They have the highest rate of three and outs in the league. They average the fewest plays per drive. All of these stats, all of these numbers are all since Matt Canada has been the Steelers' offensive play caller. That's just not going to get it done. Like, that's that's just not going to get it done. Um, and I, I wanted to give Kenny Pickett until the until Thanksgiving to see what he, you know, to see what, it, what happens. But, man, and I, I can't really even blame Kenny Pickett. It's so much I can, like, Kenny Pickett, I don't think he's uberly talented, right? I don't think he has, like, just overwhelming physical traits or gifts. But is he this bad? I don't know. I don't know. And we, we really can't judge properly when the offensive play calling and the court and the offensive coordinator is so inept. It is, he's so inept. And Matt Canada does not have a good feel for play calling. He doesn't understand how to win games in the modern NFL. And these are kind of like for coordinator. I feel like these are kind of like the three deadly sins. He's predictable. He's not creative, nor is he aggressive enough. Those are like the three, I would say like the three deadly sins for like a, a coordinator, especially an offensive coordinator, where you're just predict your offense is predictable. Um <laughs> like there's just no creativity. Everything the the the, the concepts, the route concepts are just basic, elementary, and you're just not aggressive enough. Those are like the three deadly sins if you are a if you're like an offensive coordinator, especially. That's just not gonna get it done. Uh, so the Steelers, they gotta they gotta pivot off of this really, really soon. Speaking of coaching and why coaching also matters, I'm gonna continue on this. Um as I mentioned, as I as I highlighted earlier, 
Justin Fields and Zach Wilson both had really good weeks. They had really good games despite their teams losing. But I want to talk about Justin Fields because Justin Fields, I think his I think his best game of the year, it ultimately got ruined by his coach. And this, like I said, it goes into coaching. And once again, this is a defense. This is a defensive minded coach, and I've been critical. I've been critical of, of you know of of defensive minded coaches because I feel like they don't always bring the best support or they lack support when it comes to their young quarterback. And in in situations like this, that makes me continue to highlight this point. So the game is twenty eight twenty eight. That's the score. 28-28, under two minutes left in the game. The Bears have an opportunity on the fourth down to kick a field goal, take the lead, right? Now, what's the feeling? That The feeling, what would be the feeling? The feeling would be, hey, Justin Fields had a good day. Justin Fields played his best game of the season, maybe his best game of his career. He took us, drove us down the, drove us down the, down the field, Late game situation, we kick a field goal, we take the lead. He got us the lead. That is the feeling around the locker room on the sideline. Justin Fields' confidence, super high, pumped, cool. Now, as a defensive-minded coach, granted, the Bears haven't been able to slow down the Broncos in the second half. But as a, as a defensive-minded coach, you got to trust your scheme and you got to trust your defense can get just one more stop. We're And even – I don't care what the analytics say – or what the advanced metrics say, regardless. Regardless if Denver scores, you know the vibe around the locker room and Justin Fields, his confidence is in a good position. It's, it's in a good spot. But instead, okay, they go for it. And with them going for it, cool. But the the, the play call was not good. Like, the play calling wasn't good. Uh why not do quarterback power, right? So they don't ultimately they don't get the they don't convert on the fourth down. Denver goes down and kicks a field goal. They score. They take a lead, but then you get you put Justin Fields in position where like, go win us the game because your defense gonna get stopped. It's messed up, and it's it's stuff like that where you gotta have a, a good feel, a good sense of the game. Um, Brandon Staley is another one where he he, he coughs up games and. Over the past two weeks, luckily for him, his defense and his quarterback has saved him. Asante Sam, you save. He saved Brandon Staley this week. Josh uh, Justin Herbert saved Brandon Staley, uh, uh, Brandon Staley this week. Like some of these coaches are just around the league. Some of them, not all of them, but like the state, like Brandon Staley. I thought Matt Eberflus made a huge mistake. This past week versus the uh, versus Denver, as I just outlined, as I just detailed, like you, you gotta like the like they oh, sometimes they overthink things, sometimes they don't think enough. Like it, you just have to have a good feel for it. And with the Chargers, like with the Chargers game, the Chargers play the same game literally every week. It, it's an absolute, it's an absolute shit show. And Herbert, I don't think like. I don't know how many people in the like I'm on the East Coast and I watch the Charger games. I got the NFL Sunday ticket or whatever. But on the East Coast, I wonder how many people watch the Charger games because I think Charger fans understand it. And I think the people out west understand it. But like 
Herbert literally week in, week out, say he saves Brandon Staley's ass every week because the Chargers literally play the same game every week. I mean, you would think the Chargers with their talent at home versus the Raiders who are just sputtering out of control. They don't have Jimmy Garoppolo. Devontae Adams, he got hurt in the middle of the game. Eventually, it came back. Their defense is atrocious. You would think the Chargers would be able to handle the Raiders. No. It comes down to the last two minutes. Aiden O'Connell able to, you know, put together some drives on the, on the Chargers defense. And it, it, it comes down to Asante Sam, you making a, a, a great interception, making a great play on defense, and Herbert delivering a strike down the field to ice the game. Literally, it is the same game every week with the Chargers. So if you're on the East Coast and you don't really watch the Charger games, try to watch the Charger games because, mate, like it, like it's the same game every week. And Brandon Staley, he makes a couple decisions on a weekly basis where you're just on your couch or in your bed and you're just looking, you're like, what is he thinking about? I've watched all. Of, I've been watching all of the Chargers games this year. I've walked away, and there's been decisions that he has made, or just something that he didn't do. And I'm like, "What are you thinking?" That is what Brandon Staley leaves me saying every single Sunday when I watch the Chargers. I, I can assure you, it literally would take. Jesus himself to save Brandon Staley from not getting fired. Like the Chargers would literally have to win a Super Bowl in order for Brandon Staley to have this job next year. He will not be the Chargers coach in 2024. He shouldn't be. Like he is bad. Bad. Um he's bad. So I'm gonna uh let's see, let's see, let's see. I want to let's talk about USC and Colorado. Um, we're going to shift the college football. So for all my college football people, here you go. You're welcome. And let's say, okay, USC, they go into Boulder and they beat Colorado. Um, they won the game 48 to 41. That the game wasn't that close. The, like the score may say, even though, Caught the Buffs. The Buffs had a pretty good second half. They had a, they had a better second half, and, and SC in the fourth quarter just went blank. Now we can all agree, right? Like I don't think I, I don't think there. If you follow college football and if you follow the sport, you can't like you cannot disagree. I don't even think it's an argument that USC is one of the best offenses probably the best offense in America. <laughs> like, right? Like, I don't think no one can argue that point. I think that is pretty much like, yeah, like in turn, we talk about top offenses in the country, USC, Washington, like they're, they're like one, they're like neck and neck. Right. So that can't be argued. And we all know the brilliance of Lincoln rally and him being able to develop these quarterbacks and make these quarterbacks into Heisman Trophy winners, I think Caleb Williams. He, I think with Caleb Williams on his hands, I think Caleb Williams special. 
I don't I think Caleb Williams would be this good even if it wasn't for Lincoln Riley. But I think you mix Lincoln Riley's gene offensive wizardry and genius, and you mix it with Caleb Williams' generational talent, and you get this unstoppable force where they average 50 points a week, right? So cool. No one can argue that. And even his offensive staff is excellent. The position coaches, excellent. Josh Henson, offensive coordinator, um, and offensive line coach, like excellent. Um, their running back coach McDonald, like Coach McDonald, excellent. Really, really came from Utah. Really excellent coach, right? Um, and the coaching, like the like I said, the coaching from every position, the offensive line coach to receiver coach, running back, really good. I don't think we can argue that about USC and Lincoln Rally staff. And typically, when coaches they're gonna they're gonna their strong suit is usually gonna be decide where the better coaching is, right? Um, so like Belichick for years, um, I thought his, his, obviously his strong suit is defense. I thought he's always had really good defensive minds around him. Uh, Andy Reed, his strong suit is offensive play calling for years. He's had some really good offensive play callers and creativity, uh, alongside with him. But in this kind of, I'm going to talk about Nick Saban because this kind of speaks to his greatness. But Saban has always – he's he's the recruiter, but he's always handled the defensive side of the ball. But what makes Saban so great and arguably – I don't even think it's arguably, but what makes him the greatest college football coach ever is he's been able to hit on some great offensive coordinators like Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian. Um, he had Bill O'Brien, right, like – He's been able to make bread and butter with some really good offensive coordinators, which is not his strong suit. And I relate that back to USC because time and time again, even at OU, at Oklahoma, his years at Oklahoma, this is a re- reoccurring theme with Lincoln Riley where his defenses are just not the same. And I talk about how the offensive side, the offensive coaching staff is really good. I just don't think their defensive side is as good. I think they lack. And the the recruiting is it's right there. Like, but the performance isn't up to par. It isn't up to expectations that we have for USC. Um, and I, this kind of speaks to Caleb Williams. And if there's, and I want to talk about that too. If there's any doubt about Caleb Williams, because I know a lot of people like, man, like I know a lot of people like Caleb Williams, generational prospect. But if you have any doubts, think about what the NFL is at the quarterback position. It's about overcoming, right? It's about overcoming situations and obstacles. And I will tell you this. Granted, I know the offensive skill players that USC have are really good, but think about it. And this is why I think Caleb even and I'm counting quarterbacks that's in the league. I think Caleb Williams is so valuable. If you had the choice of picking, if you combine college football and NFL together, Caleb Williams is within the top five of most valuable players. That's including some NFL quarterbacks too. 
and that's including some really good ones. I, I and I, 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 this is how this kind of speaks to how good I think Caleb is. But we can, over the past two years at USC, dating from last year to this year, week in, week out, SC. Granted, I, I I like Mason Cobb. I like Bear Alexander. I love their safety in the secondary. I think he's gonna be he's gonna be playing on Sundays on someday. But their defense, even with the upgrades, their defense is pretty much the same from last year. It's just, it, they have the same issues from last year. But it kind of speaks to how good Caleb Williams is because week in week out, they with that bad defense, they ask him to go out and play at God level. And boy, week in, week out, Caleb Williams plays at he plays at a super elite level. I love Michael Penix. I think he's awesome. Washington very well may beat USC. I think Washington might be the better team. But in terms of a prospect and in terms of what is being asked of a quarterback week in, week out, no one in the country over the past two years has has had to overcome the obstacles that Caleb Williams has had to overcome. And it can be tough because with Lincoln Riley – He's good friends with Alex Grinch, who's defensive coordinator. They're really good friends. But this isn't working. But this isn't working. But if you're if you have any doubts about Caleb Williams, nook low, nook low, nook no further than the situation at USC. Look at the situation at USC. And it's not a bad situation. And this is not the kill Lincoln Rally, because I'm the same guy who takes up for Lincoln Rally. But the defense is bad. And it's it's going to continue to be bad. Um, something culturally has to change um, in, in the direction of how Lincoln Rally is thinking, right? Something has to change. But week in, week out, they ask Caleb Williams to play at such a high level where I think even after Caleb Williams, I think Lincoln Rally would have some really good quarterbacks. But I don't know if they're going to – I don't know if you can ask year in, year out, for your quarterbacks to play at such a high level. I think Lincoln Riley is really fortunate that he has Caleb Williams, and he's had Caleb Williams for over the past two and a half, three years. Really fortunate. But the the level that Caleb Williams is playing at is absolutely phenomenal. And at this point, I don't see why he's not the Heisman favorite. I don't see why. But – you look at the defensive, like having a you know a defense that's just not good, right? Like they're pretty good up front, but the secondary is really questionable. And you're gonna, you know, you're gonna have to score points. Like, look, if you have any doubts, look no further than that. Look at the situation at USC, where Lincoln Rally just can't get the defense right, and Caleb Williams is he, he plays at a at a super high level week in, week out. And like I said, I'm I'm the guy, I think Lincoln Rally is a really good coach. I think if you couldn't have Saban or the, you know, if you couldn't have the top, like obviously he's, he's not like top three in terms of like a, in terms of college football, in terms of coaching, but he is well within the top five or seven coaches in college football. He's a really, really good coach. He's a really good coach. But something culturally has to change 
where he brings a little bit more emphasis on defense. Because if it doesn't, they're always they're gonna be a better version of Texas Tech. Like they like USC, like Lincoln Rally teams, they're a better version, a high-end version, a souped up version of Texas Tech, where they score a bunch of points, but can't get no stops. And uh, that's definitely going to change with them going to the Big Ten. But this year, USC, they're looked upon as a college football playoff contender. They got to make it out the Pac-12. It's going to be really, really hard for them to make it out the Pac-12 in the gauntlet that they have to play because they have to play Notre Dame in two weeks, I think. Then they got to play Oregon um, at some point. Then they play Washington a month from now. Um that Washington game is going to be really interesting. I, I would probably favor Washington because of USC's defense, but that can go really, that can go really either way. I think Washington is probably the most underappreciated team in the country, and don't be surprised if you see Washington in the playoff. They are really, really good and explosive. Um, and they're in like USC's offense and Washington's. They're they kind of like net for neck. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of a coin flip, but. SC is going to have to prove their defense. All right, so <clears throat> you guys know what it is. Uh, you know what time it is. It's time to do my top 10 teams list of the week going into week five. Um, <clears throat> we're four weeks in. <clears throat> I kind of feel like we know what the like really good like high-end teams are. Um, but we got some really we – got, we got a few good teams that I didn't really expect. Um, but, yeah, so – Let's get into the list. Uh, at ten, I have the Rams. Um, <clears throat> I know the Rams are two and two, and at this point, five game, four games in, going into week five, if you would have told me the Rams two and two, I'm like, man, that's that's probably best case scenario. I, they they've looked pretty good, and I, I have to I have to admit, this is where coaching matters. I trust the coach and the quarterback. When Stafford is healthy and on, Stafford can 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 really even with lesser talent. Because he he's used to that in Detroit, he can get it done. Um, Puka has been phenomenal. Five hundred yards on um five hundred receiving yards already on the season. Uh, him and CJ Stroud like neck and neck for uh, rookie of the year. Uh, they they look really good. Even and their defense, their defense surprisingly has played better than what than what I expected. They got some no name guys. Um, a lot of young guys in their defense. They're fast, but. They're playing better than what I expect. Um, now, I, I, this is the sustainability of this. We'll see. We'll see if Stafford can stay healthy throughout the you know remainder of the season. But the good news is they get Cooper Cup back. They get Cooper Cup back. They get Tyler Higby back. So they're gonna get some offense, some more offensive firepower. Um, Rams Rams look to be a little scarier than what the, than what people expected. I got them at ten. At nine, I have the Lions. They're pretty good. They're they're not just pretty good. They're really good. The Lions are really good. Um, I like what they're materializing into be. I think outside of like the Niners, Cowboys, Eagles, if you're trying to look for like that next best team in the NFC or another playoff caliber team in the NFC, I truly think the Lions have to come to mind first. Um, I you know after those teams, like the Lions are right there. They're right there. Um, I don't know if they can beat those teams in a playoff game, but I think it would be good. Um, but 
their their pat I'm a, I'm impressed with their defense. Their defense has taken so much strides, and it's not still not the best defense. They still don't have like high end guys. Um, even though Aiden Hutchinson he's turned into a premier pass rusher. Um, but they look really good. I got the Lions at nine. At eight, I got the Seahawks. The Seahawks only have one giveaway on the season. They have 16 sacks, and yet they've drafted another star corner. So the 16 sacks, I'm surprised about that because the Seahawks, for the longest time, um, haven't been able to generate a, a consistent pass rush. Um, so the high sack, the high sack numbers so far, it's it's a little surprising to me because you look at their D line, it's not much there, but they they they've drafted, they've hit over the draft for the past two years, they've hit really good. They're batting average, they're batting pretty good in terms of the draft. Um, Pete Curl, John Snyder, they've been doing a hell of a job at drafting um these guys, especially both on both sides of the ball, really, defense and offense. So um Seahawks at eight. I like what they've been doing. They got a pretty big win versus the Giants. They look to be Geno Smith looks like hey, I like it. You gotta scrap that that first week out versus the Rams. Um, okay, number seven. I got the Ravens. They're they're really good. Now, they benefited from playing a backup quarterback, rookie quarterback, right? But the the Ravens are really good. I don't even know why. I doubted them coming into the season. My only issue was health. I it, it wasn't like they just weren't good on paper or good enough on paper. They were, but I worry about the health of their impact players and they're they're missing quite a few guys on both sides of the ball, but they continue to win. So I got the Ravens at seven. <clears throat> at six, I got the Cowboys. Every game that they have won this year, three and one, all three of those games, they have won by 20 plus points. So they are they 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 get you out. They similar to Buffalo, they blow you out. They get on top of you, they blow you out, they get sacks, they force turnovers, even hell, even their defense scores. I like the impact players that they have. Um could they use Trayvon Diggs? Absolutely so. But Deron Bland has turned into Trayvon Diggs part two, right? He's turned into Trayvon Diggs 2021-2022 part two, right? Where he's just every game, he has an interception. Um, and he's going he's going to the house, taking it to the house. So they seems like they found a pretty good replacement um, to play at that DB2 spot as Gilmore goes at the DB1, right? But Cowboys look pretty good. Um, I like them. Cowboys at six. At five, and they're not even playing well, but I kind of this kind of speaks to how good and how talented they are. The Eagles. Um, the Eagles, I week one, they didn't play well. Week two, they didn't play really well. Week three, they played all right. Week four, they nearly lost to the commanders, who aren't that bad. But the Eagles just haven't played well, but they're so talented. They, they they just find a way to continue to win. Um, their their depth, I think, is inevitable. Uh, they they are more explosive than what people think. You think about their offensive line play and the running game, but they are really really explosive over the top. So I think that's what kind of makes them hard to defend. Where like you can stack the box and try to defend for the run and try to stop the run, but then they can beat you over the top really easily. They got they're really explosive, more explosive than what you think. Eagles at five. They haven't. I think that's so impressive. They haven't even played well, right? But they they're four zero. Um, at four, I got the Dolphins. Now, their defense is not very good. Their defense is not very good. But they have a really good defensive coordinator. Um, 
they have a really good offensive-minded coach, and it seems like he's kind of like ahead of the curve with the motion offense. It's kind of like taking the storm, the, taking the lead by, by storm. So they got they got something there. Uh, Tua, when playing, when healthy, is accurate. And they have the fastest team in the league. With Waddle, Mostert, Tyreek Hill, they, they have the fastest team in the league by far. I just worry about can they generate and get enough stops. So that's why I got them at four. But at three, I got the Chiefs because their defense is better. Um, their offensive line is better. Now, I do worry about the Chiefs wide receivers. They could use some of, you know, some speed. Um, but the Chiefs wide receiver room is kind of it's a little concerning. That's why I can't really put them no 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 more than three at this moment. But their defense has um hasn't allowed more than 21 points this year. Uh and Patrick Mahomes is the least sack quarterback in the league so far. So that's a that's a that's a plus plus for the Chiefs. They got the bet they got a really good offensive line, pretty good defense. Elite defense. I think this will hold them over until the trade until it's ta- until it's time to make a move for the trade deadline for a receiver upgrade, right? So I got them at three. At two, I got the Bills. You know, hey, you if you completely wipe away the week one game from Josh Allen, he has played as good as anybody. He's really he's looking really, really good. Um, the Bills, I know <clears throat> a lot of people tend to get high on them, but in particular this year. They're less dependable. They're less dependent on the big play. They are less dependent on making or trying to make that big play. So, uh, I shouts out to them. I got them uh, at two. Their defense is phenomenal, and they do. They did lost Trey White, which is going to be bad, which is going to be big. But they get Von Miller back eventually. And at one, I have the 49ers. Um, I don't know what you want me to say. Fourteen straight regular season wins. Christian McCaffrey seems – I think at this point for me, he would be my lead – he'll be my league MVP, my front runner at least. Um, he scored a, He scored a touchdown every game that he's played since he's been a 49er. A touchdown. He scored – he scored, he, like, it's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. I think he has 21 touchdowns since he's become a 49er. Like, he's been on a roll. It's like a Matt – him, McCaffrey's, like – abilities mixed with Kyle Shanahan's creativity. It's it's like a match made in heaven. So I got the Niners at one. They got Hall of Famers all over the place. Um, this is going to cap off my top 10 list uh, and this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed. Always remember two choices, one decision. I uh, hopefully try to be back later this week to give you guys another episode. But without further ado, I'll let you guys go. Enjoy. <laughs>